week two of Living Life on Mission. And uh, last week we started the sermon series talking about the fact that Jesus has called us to be a people to go and make disciples. He's told us why we're to, to do that, because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and he has a work for us to do here, heaven and earth together, bringing heaven and earth together. And he's called us to go make disciples, and he shows how to do that. And we talked about that last week. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about um, a specific definition. And definitions are important. Uh, when it comes to words and understanding the meanings of those words, they're important. Would you agree definitions are important? Uh, they align people. They align us. They, they give a clarity. They give unity. They give a call to what, what things mean and how we're supposed to live. And uh, not only that, but uh, I would say not only definitions are important, but invitations are important. Uh, invitations to specific things are important. Do you remember as a little kid, I've talked about this before, do you remember as a little kid uh, being invited to be a part of a group of people, a group of friends? Right now, it's a big deal to be invited to Foursquare during recess. As my kids are growing up, that's what they talk about, what they did during recess, right? And being invited to play, invited to be a part of a team, invited to certain friend groups is important as you grow and are part of school. Being invited to be a part of a college, Getting accepted to a college is important. Uh, inviting to friendships. Uh, for some of us, we long to be invited into a marital relationship. For some of you, you've, you've actually experienced that. Um, invitations are powerful. Definitions are powerful. Today, we're going to be talking about the greatest invitation that we've ever received. The greatest invitation that we've ever received and not only the greatest invitation we've ever received, but in addition to that, uh, the question that we should be asking ourselves, as Jesus said, go make disciples, the question we should be asking ourselves is then, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And what is it that Jesus is actually inviting us into? And what we're going to find out today, this morning, is the definition of a disciple is actually in the invitation of Jesus' uh, invitation to his disciples. And it's in Matthew chapter 4, which is where we're going to spend our time. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go clear to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we, we talked about the end of Jesus' ministry last week. We're going to go back in time, and we're going to go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is approximately 30 years old. And he's starting to minister to people. And he's starting to preach about the, the good news of the kingdom a little bit. And he's starting to actually do a little bit of miracles but he then goes to the mountain. And it says that he goes to the mountain, he spends all night praying. And when he comes off the mountain, it says that he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were, what's it say up there? They were what? They were fishermen. I would have hung out with these guys because I'm a fisherman, right? I would have hung out with these guys. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two bro other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately, notice the word again, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, followed Jesus. They were fishermen. But Jesus is calling them to be one of his 
Talmudim. Everybody say Talmudim this morning. Talmudim. What does that mean? It means to be a learner. It means to be a student. It means to be a disciple. If we're going to understand what's going on here, we've got to understand contextually what's going on, what's going on in the first century, because it's different than today. Now, how, have any of you ever read this passage before, and you've read it, and you're like, Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me, and it says, they immediately left their nets and just took off and followed Jesus. And have you ever read that and been like, that's really weird? Anybody? Like, that's weird. Like, sometimes we think, well, Jesus must have been amazing, which he was amazing, Right? But he's just so amazing. They're like, in a trance, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. Like, that's what, we, that's what we think, right? Which Jesus was amazing. But there's much more going on here. What's going on? I want to just give you just a really brief synopsis of the Jewish education, which the Jewish education culture, system, whatever you want to call it, one of the most profound, I believe, in all of human history. One of the most profound in all human history because uh, they literally taught and discipled their kids to understand the text in the Bible, their Bible, the Old Testament, that is absolutely profound, that for, for hundreds of years was passed on, like, by memory. How'd they do that? Well, in the, in the early stages of a child growing up, from the time they were born to they were five years old, Every single morning and every single evening, they taught them the Shema, which is the Jewish prayer that we find in Exodus. They taught them and memorized this prayer, and they also taught them uh, the stories of the scriptures, the stories of, of, of Noah and Abraham and, and all these amazing figures. They taught them in the home, much like many of you open your Bibles at night with your kids and you teach them the stories that we have in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They did the same exact thing. But here's something that was different for them. Uh, the next stage of Beth Sefer, which means the house of the scroll or the house of the book, from ages five to 10 years old, boys and girls studied the Torah and studied the Tanakh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Old Testament, they studied it, and from five to 10 years old, they memorized it. Memorized it. You might be saying, well, how'd they do that? Well, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have TikTok. They didn't have TV. They didn't have all these distractions. In fact, really in the first century, they had two jobs, to survive, and number two, to worship God. With all that they had, with all of their being, that's what they cared about. And for their little kids, their boys and girls, to know God and to love God. And so they memorize it. You might be saying, how's that possible? How many songs do you have memorized? How many, how many movies do you have memorized? If you were to get rid of all that and you just focused on God's word, you could memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And guess what? By the way, their brains, as we know, a child's brains are more formidable than our brains as we get older. They're like sponges. They have the ability to memorize the first five books of the Torah. But then after that, at 10 years old, we have Beth Talmud, which was the, the term meaning a house of learning or instruction. This is where boys only were invited to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. And they began to learn the oral Torah or the oral teachings or the interpretations of Torah. And they started learning the art of asking good questions. 
Because in a Jewish culture and society, that's how you learn. That's how you debated. A teacher would ask a question, a student would ask a question, and the teacher would ask a question back. Do you notice that? That Jesus does that all throughout the, new, uh, the Gospels. He's constantly asking questions. What's he doing? He's doing what a good Jewish boy had learned. This is what they did. And then in addition to that, Beth Midrash was the house of study, ages 13 to 15, where you would learn how to debate with the teachers. Do you remember when Jesus is left behind in Jerusalem as his parents leave? They go back to find him. And where do they find him? Do you remember? In the temple. And what's he doing? He's debating and arguing and having conversation with the teachers of the law. What's he doing? He's doing what a good Jewish boy would do. This is what they did. But then at age 15, they would be invited. If you were the best and the brightest. At age 15, you were invited by a rabbi to become his Talmudin, to become his disciple. And here's what we need to understand is that when it comes to being a rabbi, the rabbi was the greatest calling to be called by a rabbi and to be called to be a disciple was the greatest calling in Jewish society. You can, you can compare it to like lots of different things. What are some things in our culture that as a parent, we just go, oh my gosh, that's just so amazing. He became a, she became a whatever. What are some of those occupations? Doctor, lawyer, nurse. Mother. I like it. <laughs> President, eh, right? <laughs> right? But whatever that calling is, for the United States of America, for the Jewish culture, to be called by a rabbi is what you longed for as a parent. It's what you waited for and taught them and raised them up for. And when a rabbi thought that you could be his disciple, he would come to you and say, come, follow me. Does it make sense why they dropped everything? Does it make sense why their father wasn't like, hey, where are you going? Hey, what's going on? No, he would have went home and said, honey, do you know what happened today? Our boy was called by a rabbi. Our boy was called by a rabbi. And a rabbi usually came up at about the age 30 where you could actually become a rabbi yourself. You could actually then have disciples yourself. Give you an analogy. I'm a football guy. So I'll just give you this analogy. Hopefully it sticks with you. This is what it meant for Jewish education when it comes to football, middle school, high school, college, being a Talmud, Talmudim. You were talking like NFL draft. We're talking like this is the best of the best of all the students. And not everybody gets selected. Only the select few. Only if the rabbi believes that you have what it takes to become like him. Look at this. Then being a rabbi is kind of like a Pro Bowl player who becomes a coach, who begins to coach football or coach what it means to be a, a true follower of God. And then a rabbi with authority is like a Hall of Fame coach. These are the best of the best of the rabbis. A rabbi with authority. Do you remember in the New Testament in the Gospels it says that Jesus taught, but he just didn't teach. He taught with authority. authority. Jesus was one of these rabbis that slowly everybody's talking about. 
because he's different and he's doing different things and he's doing teachings in different ways that people were completely perplexed and amazed by but notice that Jesus's disciples that he calls what did I say they were what were they doing they were what they were fishermen fishermen. and this is what this means that these disciples these disciples that Jesus is calling you see if you're chosen by a rabbi you go and you study under a rabbi but if you don't get called by a rabbi you go do the family trade which means the the disciples that Jesus called they weren't chosen by a rabbi they're out fishing they're doing the family trade they're what we would call the B team C team but Jesus looks at him and says no I want to call you because I believe in you and we're going to talk more about that next week so make sure you come back but what we got to understand is that the disciples goal the goal of the disciple in our world in our American western culture knowledge is a big deal and knowledge is important but even today like we're, we're gathering together and there's a sermon and it's good like knowledge is good but knowing what your rabbi teaches it was not the only goal in the first century the goal of a disciple is actually to become like your rabbi everybody say rabbi Rabbi. to become like him not just to know him but to become like him but to become like your rabbi it requires great devotion it requires you to be extremely close to your rabbi and in fact there's a jewish proverb that talks about this says follow a rabbi drink in his words and be covered with the dust of his feet we've got lots of cement we love cement but if we were to get rid of all the cement here in southern idaho we live in a desert and, if, it, and if, if we just walked around everywhere and did all the things that we do by walking, not by uh, driving, not by riding a bike, by walking, and people walked around for a while, what gets stirred up? Dust. And it would be often, it'd be normal for, for dust to be billowing up into the air and people looking like there's a group of people that are following another group. Of, oh, that's a rabbi, that's his disciples And the people that were known as the closest followers, the ones that had the most passion to become like their rabbi, they followed right next to their rabbi. So much so that it was a blessing to be covered and caked in dust because that meant that as your disciple walked, as your rabbi walked, you were right behind him and you just got all the dust covered on you. Not to get too gross, but they believed so closely that they need to follow the rabbi so closely. And that showed their commitment to, be, to becoming like the rabbi that it meant following the rabbi everywhere. Everywhere. Including the bathroom. Why? Because I want to become like my rabbi. And I want to be a disciple of his where I become like him. And so whatever he has for me, I'm going to follow him. And sometimes your rabbi does things where he invites you to do things that you're like, I don't understand what he's doing, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I'm supposed to do. And eventually I'm going to learn something, but I don't know what it is. And you see this all the time. 
As Jesus just didn't take his disciples to school and teach them, but he actually took them on field trip after field trip after field trip after field trip. Are you with me? That's what he did. He went on field trips and he taught them. The closest thing I can give you is a modern analogy, and you've heard me say this before. Um, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 90s, and so Karate Kid was my jam growing up, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody else? All right. If you haven't watched Karate Kid, um, you're not American. We can talk about it later. But everybody who's American should watch Karate Kid. Anyway, uh, do you guys remember when Daniel's son, notice that? Son. The relationship between a teacher and a student was more like father-son, not teacher-student. Miyagi refers to Daniel as Daniel's son. But do you remember when Daniel's son realizes that Miyagi can teach karate? And he asks him to teach karate, and he says, come to my house. And as he goes to his house, he starts having him do house projects. Do you remember one of the house projects he'd have him do? Wax on, wax off. That's the one we all have memorized, right? He waxes the one car, and then he tells him, wax all the cars. And he waxes all the cars. Then what was another house project he had him do? Do you remember? Paint the fence, right? Paint the fence. All wrist, right? wrist. He teaches him how to paint the fence, right? Do you remember the third project he had him do? Sand the floor, right? Exactly. And he's doing that, and he's teaching them that, and, and, and Daniel's son is just getting more and more frustrated because he's like, I, I thought I was supposed to be learning karate. You're having me doing house projects. And sure enough, one night or one morning, he comes to Miyagi's house, and he gives them that, one of those projects, and he goes, dang it, and he kicks the bucket, and he's mad because Miyagi's out fishing. And he slaves all day at the house. And finally, Miyagi comes home, stringer full of fish. He's like, you told me you were going to teach me karate, not do all your house projects. And Miyagi tells him, show me, wax on, wax off. And he wax on, wax off. And he goes, ah, da, 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 right? <laughs> and he has him do it. Shows him sand the floor, paint the fence, wax on, wax off. And all of a sudden he realizes in this moment, as Miyagi begins to try and kick him and punch him, he's blocking every punch and kick. And he's realizing that he was actually teaching him karate. And he realized, oh my gosh, the rabbi, the teacher, was teaching me the entire time. This is the relationship between rabbi and disciple. This is what Jesus is doing all throughout the Gospels. As he's having them do different projects, different road trips, different relationships, different conversations, he's teaching them the entire time and he's asking them to become like him. The goal was to become like him. It's always been the goal to become like him. And here's the thing that we have to realize. As Jesus invites his disciples and says, come follow me, I will make you into fishers of men. What he's saying is, come follow me, you're going to become like me. And this morning, the call to go make disciples of all nations, Jesus is inviting you to follow him and to become like him. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him 
into a journey where he teaches you even when you don't even know and realize that he's teaching you. That you follow closely to him and that you're actually changed by him. How do we become like Jesus? Well, Jesus said it pretty plainly. Luke chapter nine, he said, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What's he saying? If you wanna follow me, if you wanna be a disciple of me, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your way of thinking and take on my way of thinking. You have to be changed and become like me and be committed to the things that I'm committed to. And I am calling on you, disciple, to follow me. It means taking up your cross. And in that moment, when you choose to deny self and follow Rabbi Jesus, you're actually gonna gain your life, not lose it. You're actually gonna gain a full life. I mentioned this passage last week about Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Paul's committed to following the rabbi. And he said, as I follow the rabbi, you can follow in my footsteps. You can become a disciple who makes disciples. 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Our lives are lives that are meant to look more like Jesus. So what is a disciple? It's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's not just about knowing what Jesus taught about. It's not about knowing the right answer. Only. It's actually living a life like Jesus with our head, our heart, and our hands, even our actions. And so for us at Real Life Ministries, our definition of a disciple is in Jesus' invitation to his disciples. What is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus, one who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. It's someone who understands that Jesus is Lord of not only their head and their mind, but he's also Lord of our hearts. He's Lord of actually all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that we have, and he's changing us. And the only way he's gonna change us is if we're actually spending time with Jesus. A lot of Christians, especially for us in America, a lot of us as Christians, we love the idea of Jesus being our savior, but we reject him as our Lord. We love, him at, we love that he saves us, but we're not willing to submit to what he commands us to. And Jesus is inviting us to say, my yoke, my way is better, and it's full of life, but it's gonna require you to say no to self and trust me. Here's the thing, salvation. We watched the Dodge family get baptized last week, and it was amazing, and we love seeing that. We love seeing people get baptized at Real Life Ministries, amen? We love it. Salvation, believing, confessing, repenting, and being baptized, it is not the end. It is the on only the beginning, it is only the beginning. It's the first step of following Jesus. But the next step of being a disciple of Jesus is what? Following Jesus and being what? Changed. To become like your rabbi. To be committed to the things that he's committed to. Salvation is the beginning. It's not the end. It's just the 
beginning. And Jesus is inviting us into this process of transformation and it requires you to be close to him if you're gonna be changed. It requires you to to be covered in his dust. It requires you to be right next to him. I grew up Baptist and there's a song, there's a line in a song that I know of that if I'm not close to Jesus, there's a hymn we used to sing, prone to what? Wander. I am prone to wander. You are prone to wander. If we are not close to Jesus, we will not be changed. I cannot change. I cannot change apart from Jesus. It's only him that can do it. But Jesus invites us to this transformation of being changed by him. And what is he changing us to? He's changing us to become more like him. And he was all about rescuing his children back in their relationship to him, being committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what a disciple of Jesus is, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. You are called to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and be committed to his mission over and over and over again. And this is the greatest invitation that's ever been given to follow Jesus, to be changed by him, and be committed to his mission. Where are you at with that this morning? Where are you at with being a disciple of Jesus? Not a disciple who knows Jesus, who knows the right answer, but a disciple who's being changed and committed to his mission. I want you just to reflect on a couple of these slides. Follow me. Am I someone who follows Jesus? On one end of the spectrum, no one tells me what to do. Hmm. Is that where your heart is with Jesus? Jesus isn't telling you what to do. Or on the other end of the spectrum, I am sold out and committed to following every moment of every day, that I've surrendered everything to Jesus. Or that you're at least trying to move in that direction. Maybe you're in the middle. I follow, but I'm easily distracted like a puppy chasing a ball or, you know, a dog chasing a squirrel. Squirrel, right? Where are you? Maybe you're in the next step. I have good days and I have bad, day, bad days, but I try to follow. That's where I'm at. I've got good days, I've got bad days. You're being changed by Jesus. Where do you fall in the, in the spectrum of being changed? I am no different than I always was, I have always have been. Here's the thing. If you're following Jesus, I don't think that you can stay where you're at. I'm the same person I've been for the last 20 years since I've been following Jesus. Have you been following Jesus? Because this is what I know about Jesus. Whatever Jesus gives to you, whatever he says to you, whatever he challenges you in, he doesn't just keep on walking. He just stays right here. Now, I think I, we, we start walking around, and Jesus is like, no, I, this, this thing, we still got to talk about this. Because he wants to grow us. He wants to change us. It's becoming a habit for me to lay down my agenda and let him change it to his. Is that where you're at? Or maybe you're in the middle. I take three steps forward and two steps backward. I can definitely list areas of my life that Jesus has changed. You know, something that might be good for you this, this week is just every single day ask the question, what has Jesus changed in my life since I started following him? How am I different? And write about it. 
Because I know in my life, sometimes I, I forget of all the good things that God's done in my life and how he's changed me. If you want to be really brave, go to your spouse, your best friend, your closest friend and say, how have I changed in your opinion since I started following Jesus? And be ready for the truth. Something to think about. Next slide. Fishers of men, at what level is my commitment to Jesus' mission? I don't give up time or resources to the mission of Jesus. On the other end of the spectrum, I am sold out in using my time and resources regularly to make disciples. Maybe you're in the middle. I know I should, but haven't wanted to step up. I try, but I have been confused at times as to what part I play. Where are you at And being a disciple of Jesus who's following, being changed, and committed to the mission of Jesus? Here's what I want to tell you. No matter where you're at, where you're at, start. Just start. This is what I know. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it's really simple. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And he wants to give you life abundantly. And he's inviting you, just walk with me. And I'll change you. A couple things to think about as we wrap up this morning and take home. A following Jesus, a disciple knows who Jesus is and makes a decision to follow him. Some of you in this room have never made Jesus Lord of your life and Savior of your life. And some of you, that's your next step. Some of you, it means believing, confessing, repenting, and getting baptized. That's your next step. For some of us, it means choosing to surrender everything to him, to his authority, and to begin the process of being changed by him. A disciple experiences a heart-level change by being with Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus requires that we spend time with him. As we spend time with him, he changes us. For some of you, the craziness of the world has drawn you. You've become distracted away from Jesus' voice. Quiet time, devotional time, journaling time with the Lord. I don't have time for that. That's what you've convinced yourself of. That's what the enemy has convinced you of. That going and taking care of the kids and making money and going to work, that is the priority over spending time with Jesus. You got too much to do. Jesus says, you can't do any of it apart from me. And Jesus wants to change you. That's going to require you to be with Jesus if you're going to go anywhere with Jesus. And then lastly, committed to the mission of Jesus. The disciples committed to taking action for the mission of Jesus. We're not to do this by ourselves. The church is God's team to make disciples. And that's what's awesome about this whole process of what Jesus did and what he's inviting us into. So I want you to notice that Jesus impacted thousands of people. We're here today, 2,000 years later, because of the mission of Jesus of making disciples who make disciples. You know how he did it? He invested his whole life into 12 people. 12 people. And then he told those people, you go do what I've taught you. Real relationship. Small group of people poured his whole life into and for all of us here this morning if we're going to do it Jesus' way 
we've got to decide we're going to be committed to a small group of people. In real life, we call those small groups or home groups. A small group of people where we get invested in, we get loved on, we get challenged. That when life hits, those people rally. Those people mobilize. Those people pray. Those people bring meals. Those people love. Those people spend time. Those people help us grow and become more like, like our rabbi. And if you don't have that small group of people, you've got to have it as a disciple of Jesus. It's a non-negotiable. Jesus said, go make disciples, do it my way. He did it by leading a small group. Do you have a small group? And as we as God's church, his team, commit to this, commit to being like our rabbi and doing it in real life together, in real relationship, I'm telling you, there's nothing greater nothing greater what I love is I I get to sit out here in the lobby and see all of you guys come in but I get to see you guys love each other through hard stuff I get to see you guys be a blessing to one another I get to see people minister to one another it's the church being Jesus' church and it changes the world and the reality is Some of you have experienced that here, haven't you? Your life is not the same. Jesus' mission keeps moving forward. So what part is Jesus inviting you to take a next step in? What part is Jesus inviting you to take a next step in? I'd love for you to bow your heads as we get ready for communion. And I'd love for you to reflect on those three parts of being a disciple. Following Jesus being changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. What is Jesus inviting you into this morning when it comes to living a life fully surrendered to him? Let's spend some time praying.